This Sunday starts the summer series on the You Ask For It sermons. All of the sermons this summer will be sermons that you requested to hear. The first one that you wanted to hear was about heaven. What's heaven like? The essence of the skit you just heard is a parody, of course, on our lives. Because we spend all of our energy and all of our thought solving problems in this life. When really, the overwhelming majority of quantity that we have of life is not in this world at all. When we spend all of our thought and, and, and our life in this world, it's like, it's like concentrating on the title page. It's like Lon Garber saying, Oh, man, this is great. This is great. Lon Garber's, the story of Lon Garber by God. This is wonderful. And never reading any further. You know what? All of us have our, author, or have our lives authored by God. And this present physical life just is the title page. Just is the title page. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to concentrate on what we know of heaven. And we want to always keep that perspective that this is just the beginning. You can live a hundred years and you have just begun to live. Now there are a few reasons why we want to do that. Not only because it quantitatively puts everything in perspective, but also because the, our afterlife, the afterlife is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a given in this country, is a given in all major religions. Every major religion has a doctrine of the afterlife. 66% of Americans, according to George Gallup, believe in an afterlife. And by the way, it's been that way for as long as Gallup has been taking polls. That, that segment has remained steady. It's not been up or down. It's just two-thirds of Americans believe firmly that there is an afterlife. Eight million Americans have reported what is now termed a near-death experience, or some people call it a clinical death experience, in which they have gone over to the other side and come back and reported their experience. That those, uh, some of those experiences, by the way, are detailed by George Gallup in a book called Adventures in Immortality. And you would think that you could write that experience off. I mean, people could say, well, you know, golly, here, here are these religious people. They get near death. They've already got this stuff all crammed in their brain. And so something is going to juice and the chemicals are going to go off and they're going to experience that and then they're going to be revived and they'll think they've gone to heaven. Except for the fact that statistically, you are as likely to have one of those near-death afterlife experiences as a non-believer as you are to have a believer, as, as a believer. So that wipes that theory out altogether. It is an experience given to all segments of society regardless of what your religion is. Therefore, we are given to the fact that this probably is a factual phenomena in this society that we need to address. Another reason is because we're curious. Not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones. All of us have had people who die, who we believe are living in heaven. And we want to know what they're doing now. We want to know what it's like. What's their life like? 
And so we're curious about heaven. Another reason is because there is a, there's a vacuum inside of us that will never be satisfied until it's fully satisfied with God in His world. In the world that we were made to live in. I've told you before, we don't belong here. We're here for a short time. We're always a little bit out of place here. Because we were made to live someplace else. And so there's that vacuum in us that keeps calling us toward a complete glorified life. And the last reason that we examine this is because it makes us more effective in this life. A long time ago I was cynical and I said, you know, the people think about heaven all the time. It's just a means of escape. It, they don't put enough into this life, making this world better. But histor history doesn't really prove that out. The people who put all of their effort into converting the barbaric Holy Roman Empire were the apostles that believed most strongly that they would be with Christ in the afterlife when that came. They poured their life into presenting the love of the gospel to people who were totally lost. In the dark ages, as cultures went through the dark ages, it was the people who believed most strongly that they would live forever that kept the culture alive and transmitting transcultural values. In the early 1700s or 1600s, it was the English evangelicals that fought the hardest to abolish the slave trade. Historically, it has been the people who have believed that they would live forever, who put the most into this world instead of the least. And so therefore, having everything in perspective makes you more effective and stronger in this world, makes you help change things in this world. Now, let's talk about it a little bit. We don't know a lot about the afterlife. You know why? Because the afterlife is a purely spiritual realm, and we live in what is not a purely spiritual realm. And therefore, we can't even comprehend it. That's why there's not pages and pages and pages of it in Scripture. Because God could describe it. We couldn't comprehend it. We wouldn't know exactly what they were talking We haven't got that ability yet. We don't live in that world. So much of the afterlife is ineffable. Some of the afterlife uh, is, is, will always be a little cloudy for us, a little confusing. For example, let me ask you this. Is there just one big generic place of the afterlife, or are there several places? Are there several stages? Are there several categories? In Jewish and, uh, and Arabic folklore, there are not one heaven, but seven heavens. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word heaven is plural. And there are seven heavens. That's where we get the, uh, the expression, I'm in seventh heaven. That's where we get that expression from, from those cultures. How many were there for Christians? Well, I don't know. What did it mean when Paul, in chapter 2 of Corinthians, in the 12th verse, verse 2, said, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven. How many heavens are there? I don't know. What does it mean in, in John 14 when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. What does that just mean? Like houses and neighborhoods, that's where we do. Or is it, we don't know. So there is much that we won't go into this morning. Much. We haven't got the time. And all this symbolism, somebody kept saying, what's the symbol? We haven't got the time for that. But there are a few things I really, really want you to grab onto today. First of all, I want you to know, when you get to heaven, God's going to give you a new body. All right? Hallelujah. For all of us who have passed the age of 40, we can really say, hallelujah. This is wonderful. You know, in, in the, in the uh, 
in this morning's scripture, it talks about our bodies just, uh, you know, going down every day and, and being corrupted and so on and so forth. But we have new bodies. We are going to have new bodies. And let me just give you one scripture that you can pour over and wonder uh, about this. And it's 1 Corinthians 15. That's the one in which it talks about uh, uh, the new body we're going to get. It doesn't describe it. It just, it just gives a few general characteristics. Let me read that for you. You do not sow the body which is to be. What we've got right here, this physical body, is a seed. The Bible says very clearly, unless the seed falls to the ground, it dies. It can't, it can't become what it's what's to become. So it says, you don't sow the body that is to be. 38, but God gives it a body just as he wished. He's got it in his mind. We can't describe it yet. We can't tell what it is by this body. Verse 42, so is also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It is sown a short body. It is raised a tall body. Actually, that's in my margin right here. If you, want to, if you think I want to go through eternity being 5'6", you're crazy. I don't want to. I want to be bigger than Bill Lambeer or whatever his name is. No. Um, the good news of this is that you will have a spiritual body. Now, I realize that for many of you who are young, that doesn't mean a lot right now. You wait till you get old. You wait till you get old. You see what that means. You wait till you get sick with something. You see what that means to you. I, Becky told me one time she was in a church. It was a mainline church, and, uh, and the service was just drier than a bone. I mean, just, ah, it was just dead. It's like that old commercial about the cowboy that comes in off the desert, you know. He says, give me potato chips, you know. And he's just, she was, it was just about that dry. And she was thinking that, you know, in, in mainline churches, those of us who were, who, were, who were raised in mainline churches, a lot of times you have responsive readings. Minister says this, congregation says this, minister says this, congregation says this. And it's just like very mechanical. And so Becky's sitting there and, and confessing to me afterwards that she said, man, I was just saying... God, nobody's getting anything out of this. This is dumb. Who in the world could get anything out of this? And in front of her, kind of category, were two elderly folks. You could tell they had been married forever. Because they looked like each other. Did you ever notice that? When you marry, get married long enough, you start to look like your spouse. Did you ever notice that? Honest to goodness, it's happening to you. It's happening to you right now. If you're single and you live with a dog, watch out. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> but anyhow, so here is, and here's this guy. He's got two great big um, ear things, uh, hearing aids. Thank you. <laughs> and the gal has 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 trouble with arthritis. She's she, her, you know, her hips. She came in with two canes, you know. And here they're reading this responsive scripture. And Beck's thinking to herself. Come on now, this isn't this doesn't going to mean anything to anybody. The response of scripture was Isaiah 35, and it came to the part that said, "Then the eyes of the blind will be opened." He's talking about them when the Messiah comes, and the Messiah's kingdom. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And this little wife 
reaches up to her husband's ears and touches his ears and, and tears well up in the eyes. And the next line says, and the lame will leap like deer. And he reaches down and touches her hip and tears well up in her eye. And Becky did this. Oh, I'm a worm, I'm a jerk! <laughs> But you see, I want you to know that means something. That means something. You're going to have a new body someday. And I can't describe what it is to you. But you will not have that distraction, that impairment. It's not going to be attractive, not attractive. It's going to be exactly what you need to serve God. Secondly, and this is the deepest point. The Bible says that when we go to heaven, there's going to be no sorrow there's going to be no death. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the first things are passed away. That's Revelation 21 verse 4. Now, the first thing we think about when we think about that is, boy, that's great. You know, it's going to be like being high all the time. No, you, you haven't gone down deep enough yet. It is not the same thing as being anesthetized. It is not the same as drinking yourself into a stupor so that you don't care anymore. It's not the same thing as taking drugs so that you come in all your little world and you can't cope with it and you shut it all out and somehow make the body feel good. It's not that at all. That's not heaven's joy. Because you know what? When you get to heaven, the Bible indicates you can still see what's happening on earth. You read Hebrews 11 and talk about, it talks about all of those Old Testament saints who died in faith. And the first verse of the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews said, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What are witnesses? There are people who are watching what is going on. You know, in in the 15th chapter of Luke, it talks about a sinner turning and repenting from his sins. And it says, those with the angels rejoice. It doesn't say the angels rejoice. He said, it says, those with the angels rejoice. People are watching from heaven what's going on here on earth. Now let me tell you this. What kind of deep joy do you think it takes to have contentment while you watch everything that's going on in the lives of your, of your loved ones. You watch them struggle on this earth. You watch them make mistakes. You watch them sin big time. You watch them turn their back on God sometimes. You watch the horrible things that happen to them that are not their fault. Yet, it says there is no pain. There is no sorrow. There is no crying. We're talking deep joy. We're talking about the comprehension of the sovereignty of God that even if the person you love most in this world is hurting, you can still see the purpose and you still know it is good and just. And God has meant it for good. That is something much deeper than happiness. Take one step deeper with me. There is an indication in Scripture that you can even see into hell after you are in heaven. 
that you even know and have some sort of an idea of what's going on in hell. In a parable told by Jesus, Luke chapter 16, there was contact between heaven and hell, between the rich man and between Abraham who was holding Lazarus. And there was, there was contact. Now what kind of peace do you think you'd have to have? What kind of understanding of God's sovereignty in order to be content even though there were people in hell? That's unbelievable to me. Because the first thing you think about is if we love them, we're going to form a rescue party and try and get them out of there. Right? But yet, somehow, you come to understand that the people who are separate from God are there because they've chosen to do that. And all of their life, they have been so self-centered, they've not, never wanted to be with God. They've just wanted to relieve their own stress. That's all they cared about. When you hear the voice of the rich man call up, he never says, let me come be with you. I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. He says, hey, send Lazarus down, give me a drink of water, it's hot. That's his concern, he's hot. There, it will make sense to us. So when I say there is no sorrow in heaven, it's not just feeling good. There's an understanding and a comprehension of God of just how just he is. And just how well he's arranged this world. And it all makes sense. That's deeper than happiness. Let me tell you something else about heaven. There is... Um, there's times that we do things in heaven. There's a service. You know, when I, when I was a little kid, I used to think that heaven was, everybody just got wings. I got that from the Renaissance. I didn't get that from the Bible. And everybody got wings, and we sat around playing harps. Because there's a couple of chapters in the Bible that talks about the, the elders having harps. I didn't realize at the time that a harp is symbolic for a sweet, melodic spirit. It doesn't mean literally you sit around and play harps. But, but that's what I thought you did. And I thought to myself, Oh, gosh, I'll pass. Maybe they got something in between, you know, where you can watch football or something. Um, but they don't have anything in between. The, the, the point is that you don't go up to heaven and say, well, you know, how come you think you ought to be in here? And you say, well, because I follow Jesus Christ. And they say, well, okay, you can come in, but you've got to take harp lessons. And you go, oh, gosh. The point is that there are things to do. There are, there are ways to express love that don't have to do with just a verbal expression of love. You know, some of us aren't very good at love out loud. There's a, there's a country song that talks about, I'm not very good at love out loud, you know. Some of us aren't very good at love out loud. And so there's even a way to adore God by service. And that comes as a, as a great comfort. You know, uh, Revelation 7.15 says, They serve Him night and day. It comes as a great comfort to some of us. It will not be boring. There will be ways that we can express our love to the Lord God Almighty. One more, and then I'll quit. There is also, and this is important to note, there are also rewards in heaven for those who have invested in this earth in the heavenly kingdom. 
Now, before I ever go any further, I want you to understand when I say rewards, what comes up in your mind is not what, is it, what it is in heaven. What comes up in our minds when we, when we say rewards is some sort of payoff. Good. If I act good, then I'll get treated nice later. You know? It's not what it is. It's some, what comes up in our mind is there's something to be proud of. You know? I don't like the verse that says we're going to praise him wearing our glittering crowns. I cannot imagine anybody having the gall to wear a crown in front of God. I cannot imagine that. Man, the, the Bible says they, cast, they just took their crowns up. Put them down around the glassy sea. They wouldn't, they wouldn't possibly wear a crown in, front, in the presence of God, have that kind of arrogance. Are you kidding? So it's not something that we build up in order to get a payoff and we can, we can kind of outdo everybody else. You know? How many, well, how many rewards you got? The Bible clearly, though, says, Matthew 5, those of you who are persecuted in my name shall not lose his reward. Matthew 6, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. 1 Corinthians, um, uh, or is this, yeah, 1 Corinthians 3, 14, is that it? Is that it? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> buddy. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 says, our works shall be tested as a fire. And some of them will survive and some of them won't. The ones that don't, you just burn up and you're saved, but you're a little naked when you go. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> didn't do much for you, but I believed in you, you know. But the people who invest their life, in God, in this world. It's the sowing and reaping principle all over again. You are giving something of your life all that you can for His glory because you love Him. Whenever you take any of your resources, any of your time, any of your emotions, and you put it into building the kingdom of God in this world, when you get to heaven, you're going to be glad. And the closest thing I can come to describing a reward in heaven is a gladness because you praised God long before you ever got there. You loved Him long before you were ever in His presence. And that is something you didn't waste while you were down here. It's a mark of maturity to be able to predispose yourself towards something that you will love later. And that is what a reward on this earth, a reward from this earth is. So everything you do down here builds toward heaven. This is not wasted time. And it's just not, not just to see if you can get saved or not. You know, you have begun to build your life now. And nothing, nothing will be passed over or not tested in the time to come. You, all of us will go through a judgment of works. And that will have an effect on how we live and how glad we are in heaven. Let me say to you, there is nothing for a mercenary in heaven. Because the reward of heaven is to be able to love God up close. That is heaven. To be loved and to sense the closeness of God, that is heaven. Jesus was safe when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Only the pure in heart want to. <laughs> I, mean, that's not, I mean, if you ask a mercenary, what do I get to when I get to heaven? Well, you get to love God. Well, what else? Nothing. But you and I know from just the little bit of love we've experienced on this earth, from the times when there were a few people who loved us for who we were, 
purely and simply. There is nothing better in existence than being loved. And that's what heaven is. Now, before we take communion, it would be a little goofy for me to preach on heaven and have anybody in this audience or in this congregation wonder whether or not they're going. It is the cruelest form of punishment to make somebody wonder whether or not they'll get to heaven. For some reason, it's very easy to avoid the way to get to heaven. And, and, you know, Jesus' disciples spent all that time with him. And when he said, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And his disciples said, oh, we don't know how to get there. This after three years with him. We don't know the way. And what did he say? I'm the way. I'm the way. God's given this. Don't look to do something to achieve heaven. Let me just say to you very simply. One of the, one of the most hurtful and one of the most celebrated things that I've done in 20 years of ministry is be with people as they die. There are two kinds of people. One person, one kind of person struggles like crazy to keep in this world because he never had a very satisfactory life and he thinks if he lives long enough or a little bit longer, maybe he can get a little bit of the satisfaction he never had and he doesn't know where he's going. That's a horrible death to watch. And you try to explain, you don't want to hear it. But there's another kind that no matter how much pain there is in this world, they know it's momentary. They know it's just a little bit before they get with God. And they are so sure of their salvation. And all their life they've lived with confidence and joy because they knew where they were going. There was never any question. Please don't leave here wondering whether or not you're going to go to heaven. God doesn't grade on a curve. It doesn't matter how anybody else acts. The only thing that really matters is if you take the way he gave you. And the way is Jesus Christ. There isn't a person in this sanctuary, me most of all, who's worthy to stand in the presence of God. I know my thought life. I've got mirrors in my house. I know who I am. I'm just a middle-aged sinner. In a few years, I'll be an old sinner. That's all I am. I'm not worthy to stand before him. And if you are in that company, then you need to do what I did. And that is to go to God and say, I know what you did for me with Jesus. I know that my sins separate me from you and that God died on the cross for me. And that if I accept his sacrifice, somehow we're going to be together. I want to give you that chance right now. I want to pray with you. If you're ready, I want to pray with you. If you've thought about it, not if you're emotional or you just, but if, you, if this is really the desire of your heart, I want you to pray this with me. And those of you who have prayed this before, you just wait it out because I've got another prayer for us at the end. Would you pray with me right now?
Lord God, it says in your word that our life is but as the grass that is here for a little while and then is burned. It is as a mist that is here for a little while, then is swept away. That's what all of us are. There isn't anybody in this world that's going to survive it. All of us are going to die. And we come to you knowing that you have the solution to that problem and believing that somehow in a way none of us can comprehend you came down in the life of Jesus Christ to love us, to stretch your arms out for us and to take on yourself our sins. That's how much you love us. And so, and as inadequate as we feel, help us right now to let you do that. To give you our sins because of our confidence in what you've done with us at Calvary. And to invite you into our hearts to live there permanently, forever, so that we can live in yours forever. And to make of our life whatever you want it to be. Because that's what love does. And Lord God, if we've done that, we know we have done what is necessary to go to heaven. For the rest of us that have made that commitment and already have the assurance, give us the perspective of heaven. Help us to quit messing around and pulling our hair out and being all anxious about everything down here. Just help us to love you. And to watch what you do. And to sense your love and love as good as we can. And wait it out. (laughs) till we can come to you. Thank you for being our God. For being our Abba. Our Daddy. Please. Not only get us into heaven, but get heaven into us. We pray in the spirit of Christ.